This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. The Buck Sexton Show. Now, spreading freedom across the nation, this is The Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome back to the Freedom Hut. We were just talking some Christmas history. Now we'll talk history that occurred during Christmas. Uh, The Battle of the Bulge. On the morning of December 16, 1944, 18 men of the Intelligence and Reconnaissance Platoon attached to the 99th Infantry Division found themselves directly in the path of the main thrust of Hitler's massive Ardennes offensive. Despite being vastly outnumbered, they were told to hold their positions at all costs. That description of the book, The Longest Winter, The Battle of the Bulge, and the Epic Story of World War II's Most Decorated Platoon. The author, Alex Kershaw, joins us now. Alex, thank you for uh, calling into the show. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Uh, So Battle of the Bulge started December 16th, obviously went through Christmas. Walk us through the story, if you will, of the 18 men of the 18th Intelligence Reconnaissance Platoon attached to the 99th Infantry Division. What was it like starting on December 16th? Uh, well, they woke. They were awoken by the greatest barrage on the Western Front in World War II that lasted about an hour and a half. And then they were very unlucky because they found themselves in the worst possible place at the worst time. They were in a, on a hillside overlooking a road um, down which the spearhead, the SS spearhead, uh, under direct con- command of Adolf Hitler, uh, that road led just below their positions. And they were given an order about 8 o'clock in the morning that they had to hold their position above that road at all costs. And they did so to, to the last bullet in several cases. They were dragged out of their foxholes around about nine hours later, having killed, some people believe, around about 500 German soldiers. Um, all of them taken into captivity. All of them spent today and Christmas of 1944 in POW camps. Uh, and all of them of the 18 miraculously survived captivity and then in the 1970s when a lot of research was done into the Battle of the Bulge it was discovered that by holding that position for that long long day in that uh, very very bitter cold December of 1944 by holding that position they'd held up the critical advance of the Germans that day and made a massive difference to the outcome of the Battle of the Bulge Uh, and their actions were belatedly recognized and they were awarded medals by uh, President Carter in 1978, uh, and the medals that they were awarded made them the most decorated U.S. platoon of World War II um, for their actions in the Battle of the Bulge. Alex, can we step back for a second and have you tell everybody just some of the backstory of what was the sort of state of play on the ground in this part of the Western Front right around Christmas time? Starts December 16th, but obviously escalates uh, into the period where we are right now. 
Um, and what was the German intent here? How big was the offensive? What were the allies? Uh, how are the allies prepared for it on the other side? If you could give us some of the backstory and the yeah, no, the details. It the, uh, it's the you know, it's the um, it was, it's the biggest battle that Americans have ever fought. Um, almost eight hundred thousand Americans were involved in some way. Uh, the Battle of the Bulge is named after the eighty-mile bulge that the Germans forced in the Allied lines. It was in the Ardennes in Belgium, very heavily forested, inhospitable terrain, and it was called Hitler's last gamble. He thought that by hitting the Allies where they least expected it on what was called the ghost front, a quiet front all through the Ardennes, um, by launching a massive surprise attack, what he could do is take the Allies by surprise, which is what worked, and then um, get to Antwerp or some of the channel ports, split the Canadians and the British and the Americans, and then um, basically be in a position to negotiate the end of the war uh, on his own terms. Um, hopefully the Allies would sue for some kind of settlement in the West, and then he'd be able to turn the full might of the Wehrmacht, the German army, to, to, to the East and try and stop the, uh, the Russians advancing on Germany there. So it was called Hitler's last gamble. We were taken completely by surprise. Um, you know, over 200,000 German troops launched a very, very violent attack in the early hours of the 16th of December 1944, and it took us completely by surprise. It was absolute chaos and panic, um, consternation all through the Allied ranks, Eisenhower, Patton, uh, you name it, they were all um, completely taken by surprise. Um, it was has to rank as the greatest Allied and greatest military intelligence failure, I would say, in, in U.S. history. How, how the hell can you not uh, work out that anything's going to happen when you wake up to 200,000 Germans. Um, it's a, what it's were a, the, one of the parts of this, obviously it's, it's occurring, uh, it's launching right at the, at the start of, of wintertime in, in Europe. What yeah. were the conditions like on the ground? I, mean, I know much has been made of this for uh, those who survived. I've even interviewed some of the survivors myself, and they said that right. it was about as it was about as miserable as you could expect for wintertime uh, in the Ardennes forest. Yeah, no, it was, uh, I mean, I've been there, I mean, I've been there several times in the winter, and, uh, you know, I, I, I haven't slept for two nights or a couple of weeks in a row um, in a foxhole when it got to minus 10, 15 degrees at night. It was, the, it was the coldest winter in living memory in Europe, the winter of 44, 45. So you had, a, you know, you had whole infantry companies that were decimated, not by the enemy, but by trench foot, frostbite, the cold. Um, it was a t- terrible condition. I mean, I couldn't think of any worse conditions. Maybe you'd have to go to the Guadalcanal and the Pacific in the jungle to, to fight in worse conditions. But the veterans that I have interviewed have said that that winter of 44, 45, you know, that you, you slept next to a guy and you hugged the hell out of them because you needed their body warmth. Just, just to, and they were afraid. Uh, the, the major fear that guys had in foxholes during that, that bitter battle was that they would uh, freeze to death, that they, they, that they wouldn't wake up but if they didn't hug someone warm next to them or they didn't constantly uh, wake themselves that they would they would fall off into a, a deep sleep and they would um, die of frostbite and that in fact that happened in several cases speaking to alex kershaw author of the longest winter available on amazon.com right now what turned this around i mean clearly it was sort of a sucker punch to the allies uh, how were they able to sort of re- regain their bearing and, and push back this offensive? Was it just sheer weight of, of manpower and numbers? Uh, in, in a way, yes. I mean, that, you know, that, that does explain the, the outcome in some ways. But let's not forget the, that the Battle of the Bulge was really General Patton's finest hour. I mean, today, today, the 22nd of December 1944, 
almost to the hour, um, Patton took control of the American part of the battle and, and pivoted an entire army, the third army, um, towards Bastogne, where the 101st Airborne were um, pretty much surrounded. Um, so if you're looking for the hero of the hour uh, for the moment when I believe one of America's greatest, finest generals ever, when he acted very decisively um, in counterattacking the Germans and, as he, says, try, as he said, trying to cut them off and then destroy them, um, it came down to General Patton, who was the most prepared during the crisis to, to turn what was a, a terrible uh, disappointment and shock into somehow an Allied victory. And um, he was the man of the hour. He, he managed to do so very, very incisively and brilliantly. And you focused on the in in the longest winter on these eighteen men uh, who were there on day one, December sixteenth, and and as you said, they all went into captivity and all survived. Uh, weren't there instances of the SS executing people even who had surrendered? I mean, it, it seems like they oh, yeah. beat the odds tremendously, both in in surviving the initial clash and then surviving in Nazi POW camps. I mean, this has got to be. Uh, it feels like it must be unprecedented that 18 go in and 18 come out. Yeah, well, I, I couldn't find a, another unit where they'd been in such intense com- combat, um, a firefight that lasted basically a whole day, um, where they, where you had hadn't any hadn't had any fatalities. But um, the, the, the guys they held up were a, um, an SS Panzer unit um, led by a guy called Jochen Piper, who became very notorious after the war for what was called the Malmedy Massacre. Uh, the Malmedy Massacre occurred on the 17th of December, the day after uh, the platoon I write, I, I write about held his unit up. And it's thought that he was so enraged and frustrated by the delay that was caused by these guys that he, he went on the rampage. And um, many of his men massacred Belgian civilians in Malmedy on the early, in the early hours of the 17th of December 1944. Over 100 Americans were lined up in a snow-covered field and machine-gunned to death by um, SS tanks. Um, and they and they carried on like that. They carried on like that for about twelve days until they were finally surrounded by the eighty second airborne and um, and stopped and then forced to retreat. So yeah, the Battle of the Bulge was notable for what the SS called rabats. They they used to they used the term rabats, which means a little bit of fun. And their idea of fun was to massacre nineteen year old GIs stood with their hands in the air and women and children in these small villages of Belgium and the winter of 1944. What were the conditions like in these German POW camps, and where were they? Were they just be, sort of behind uh, behind front-line positions, or were they? did they get sent back further into Germany? Where did these 18 men... Uh, go, go ahead. Yeah, well, we you know that the Battle of the Bulge, we had about, uh, over 20,000 Americans were taken, taken prisoner. In fact, one division, the 106th Division, um, over half of that division, you know, just talking about seven or 8,000 guys didn't even get to fire a shot, and they were taken into captivity. So the Germans had a big problem. They had a lot of guests of the Third Reich that they didn't know how to look after, and they, they couldn't look after because they already had a massive concentration camp system. Um, but some of them were taken into the central Germany, and then most of the um, the guys in my platoon, the INR platoon I write about, they ended up in April of 1945 actually being liberated by their own their own division, the 99th Division. They actually were at barbed wire enclosures when they saw guys with the checkerboard patch, the 99th Division patch on their shoulders and jeeps come to, to liberate them. That's got to be the happiest uh, day of their lives, they, yeah. Yeah, it was, definitely. And the, the guy that led this platoon was uh, just 20 years old, 
when the action occurred. He was a guy called Lyle Bout Jr. And sadly, he just passed away 10 days ago, literally. Um, and uh, he was actually lying in a... This will give you an idea of how bad things got. There was a lot of dysentery starvation. They were on very, very you know, bad diets. Um, and uh, he was dying um, of malnutrition. Uh, and in fact, um, scurvy, if you can believe it. He was dying when he was lifted out of a, uh, a cot in a barracks by his commanding officer, uh, a major in the 99th Division, taken in a jeep to an evacuation hospital and then and then uh, began a process of about six months of trying to trying to regain his health and weight. Um, so a lot, of the, a lot of these guys who were taken prisoner um, suffered a lot of deprivation because you, you can imagine what it was like to be a POW in the last winter and spring of the war inside the Third Reich. Um, I, I talked to a couple of guys who told me that they actually felt pity for the German guards that were guarding them because these guys, these guards were living on like, you know, a, a moldy potato each day. Um, so it wasn't just the prisoners that were suffering, it was the entire entire country that was falling apart and starving. Alex Kershaw is the author of The Longest Winter, The Battle of the Bulge, and the epic story of World War II's most decorated platoon. You can get it now on Amazon.com. Alex, really appreciate your time today. Merry Christmas. You too. My pleasure. Thanks a lot. Uh, team, phone lines are open, 888-900-3393. If you just want to call in and say Merry Christmas to the team, or you know what? We're getting wild. If you want to throw in an action movie quote and see if you can get me before the holiday, I dare you. See what you got, 888-900-3393. We'll be right back. Buck Sexton, dispensing the truth. On the Blaze Radio Network. Listening to the Buck Sexton Show only on the Blaze Radio Network. Sponsor this half hour, SilencerShop.com. Look, I know it's the holiday season. Christmas is in a few days, but you don't have to only get yourself a nice gift on Christmas. You can get it for later in the year too. Think about a silencer, suppressor for your firearm. Uh, it's the best way to go. Period on SilencerShop.com. The simplest buying experience. A friendly, knowledgeable staff. They're there to help with any questions you may have, and they know how to process the applications properly to make sure that you can get through it and get your silencer. And once you have it, I'm telling you, firing with a silencer is awesome. I've been out there on the range a bunch of times with suppressed weapons, and if you're offering me firing old school or firing suppressed, I'll take suppressed every day of the week. makes it a more enjoyable experience. It also looks cool. Check out silencershop.com for the latest brands and the best prices and the best service. Silencershop.com. Again, silencershop.com. Help make the world a quieter place. One thing we did not get to before with our really excellent Christmas historian, by the way. That guy was great. Uh, I'm actually going to pick up his book. Uh, and was, our Battle of the Bulge historian was excellent, too. We only we just rock and roll in the freedom of We get the best guests. It's just how we do it. Uh, but we didn't talk about the Krampus which is a thing. Uh, and I, I know about this, I'll be honest with you, because I was flipping through Netflix recently, just looking for something to zone out to. I don't know. Maybe I'll splurge in 2017 and get cable, you know, big boy style. Actually actually pay for cable. I haven't paid for cable TV in, I don't know, eight years now, something like that. Maybe a decade. No, eight years. Uh, so there's that. 
But I was looking through Netflix, and there was this, and it looked like it had a sort of a Santa, I mean, a, a Christmas theme to it, and I guess that's why they're pushing it now because it's you know Christmas time. But it was called Krampus, and I could tell it was like, oh, that does that doesn't look like Santa Claus. It was a little scary, and it was this sort of uh, demonic-looking hand holding a snow globe, and I was like, oh, oh, no presents for me from this guy. Turns out that the Krampus is a half sort of demon. Uh, half goat figure uh, with big horns who is the sort of counterpoint in some Germanic traditions. And clearly we learned about the Dutch and the Muslim slave traders threatening the, the Dutch telling their children, the Muslim slave traders are coming for their kids, which by the way, that would have really sucked. You would not have wanted to have been picked up by those slave traders. I read a lot about how they treated people. Uh, you mean slavery is not just a thing that happened in America? And that Yeah, I know, right? You mean Muslims actually practiced an enormous slave trade? Yeah, I know. It's crazy. Who knew? Uh, but the Krampus is a uh, it's sort of the, the bad cop to send as good cop, if you will. He it, it, They think it comes from Germanic and, and perhaps even Norse traditions. Uh, he is sometimes referred to as sort of a horned god of uh, warlocks and witches, and he was in Germanic folklore. Uh, of course, it was banned for a while by the church because, you know, church didn't like all this, all this fun stuff. Uh, but in Germanic f- folklore, the Krampus would uh, beat bad children with a stick. It's terrifying. Like you, if you look online and type in Krampus, you'll see there's also Krampus parades now in Germany where people dress up in very scary costumes. Uh, but it's a sort of goat-like devil figure. And they have these parades of the Krampus that usually happen in early December. Uh, but he beats children with sticks who are naughty and takes them back to his lair. Whoa, sketchy, uh, bad guy. So the Krampus is also a thing. Um, and now it's it, they think it comes from early pagan celebrations around the sort of winter time, And um, they don't really totally know. But yeah, Krampus has stayed around as a... As sort of the e- he's sort of the evil Santa Claus, if you will, and some of the masks are really scary. So yeah, just wanted to share about the Krampus. I'm not going to watch the. Mo- I'm sure the movie is terrible and not in a good way. It's not terrible but awesome, like Point Break. It's just terrible, like terrible. Don in San Diego, Merry Christmas. You're on the Buck Sexton Show. What's up? Hey, Merry Christmas, Buck. How's it going? You know, just happy the holidays here, my friend. How about you? <laughs> Live in the dream, buddy. Live in the dream. Okay, exactly. are you ready? Oh, wait, we, 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 we got an action movie quote? Okay, all right. I'm, I'm gearing up. I'm ready. Okay. I told my wife, don't worry, honey. I never drive faster than I can see. Oh, man. Oh, hit the buzzer, John. He's got me on this. I don't know. John, do we not have the buzzer? John's ready for you. There we go. Yeah, I buzzed out. What is it? So disappointed. Big Trouble in Little China. Okay, I love that movie. I've seen the movie a million times, but like, that's not. We're looking. Look, I'll, I'll give hey, it to you, Don. Hey, it's an action movie, man. No, no, it's it's, it's not everything. that it's not an action movie, but I mean, you know, it's got to be quotes more than like, "Would you like water with dinner?" I mean, it's got to be a little, a little <laughs> more substance to the quote. I mean, this is borderline. I'll take it. I'll, I mean, we're, we're, Don, we're putting you up on the board. You know, two points, but still, okay. I, I feel I feel like I, you know, there's so many great quotes in that movie. I mean, you're gonna give me a Jack Burton quote. You're gonna give me that one. Fair well, enough, you though. Quoted the one, you, you quoted the one about when the, the eight-foot gorilla grabs you by your neck. You quoted that one, so I thought you would get this one because it was right before it. All right, you snuck one past me on one, of my, on one of my favorites, too. I'm Big Trouble, Little China, 
devotee. So I might have to go back and check it out. Much more so, much more, uh, much more so than Big Trouble in Little Tokyo or whatever, or Showdown in Little Tokyo. Not a good movie. Exactly. Uh, also an action exactly. movie. Don in San Diego, Shields High. Merry Christmas. Thank you very much for calling in. Good to talk to you. Um, 888-900-3393, team. Merry Christmas stuff or action movie quotes or anything. We're wide open. Light them up. Be right back. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Show. Our team, we're back and we're joined now by Matt Walsh. He is an author on TheBlaze.com, also author of the Matt Walsh blog. Uh, he's at Matt Walsh blog on Twitter. And he's got a couple pieces up, including one on advice to millennials. Uh, hey, smug millennial liberals, here are some New Year's resolutions for you. Matt, great to have you. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Bob. Thanks for having me. Uh, can we just first? Uh, I, I just wanted your your, your reaction to this uh, Adam Saleh video. It's now come out that this was uh, that other people on the plane. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? This thing that went viral yesterday. Yeah. 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 yeah absolutely. Uh, it, it went it went viral, and and it was so obviously staged. I mean, this guy's you know he's showing the the crowd the the people on the plane, and they're all looking at him like, dude, go away. And I I saw someone yesterday watch the video on the train and get completely outraged, thinking that it was real. And I was like, "This is, this is why we can't have nice things, America." Uh, but it seems to me that while maybe fake news happens on the left and the right, hoax, hate crimes, or hoax hate acts are entirely a province of the progressive left. Yeah, yeah, that's what it seems like. And uh, you know, if. We keep hearing the scourge of Islamophobia in America, just like the scourge of homophobia. We always hear about this. And if it's actually happening, then can you give us like a couple examples of a real occurrence? Because they always seem to be fake. And it seems like if you actually have Muslims being persecuted in America, which they aren't, but uh, if they were, they wouldn't need to invent these things. And not only that, but if you go to places where there's actual persecution going on, the persecuted minorities are not much in the mood to fake uh, hate crimes against themselves because because they, they have plenty of real ones, so it's not a joke to them. But I think even beyond that, it's like with, with it's there's absolutely no effort made by the media or by anyone who passes these kinds of hoaxes along. No, not even the slightest, smallest little effort made to confirm them. Because if they made the smallest effort, they would see that this guy is known. That's why he's a YouTube star, quote unquote, is because he's known for doing this. This apparently is his whole. Life is just going out and trying to provoke or incite uh, this faux kind of Islamophobia by, go, by going out and trying to pass himself off as a terrorist. And so all you had to do was just go and look at his channel, and you would have seen that. And uh, apparently, quote-unquote, journalists can't even do that much. Matt, I don't know if you, we had some fun with this yesterday. We looked at his earlier video trying to show that – I mean, he's not even good at this, by the way. <laughs> it's like – it reminds me of when they had – when they had that woman who was sort of dressed in tight clothing and they followed her around uh, New York City for whatever it was, eight hours, just to show how much um, the manarchy sort of objectifies women. And, yeah, there are guys that whistle at women that wear tight clothing and, you know, that's not nice. It's rude. They shouldn't do that. But then the big problem was that on the entirety of the video of the eight hours, it was all 
black and Hispanic men shown doing it. And there was this huge backlash against the racism of the video, and you know, so so that was yeah. a fail. Uh, there also is the fail that this guy has of trying to do an, an, another one of these sort of undercover experiments. Where they have a police officer looking at him dressed, you know, sort of in Western style and then dressed in, in, in Muslim garb, you know, Arabic Muslim garb. And the cop is so obviously not a cop. Have you seen this? He's like, why are you dressed like this? I'm an officer of the law. I mean, it is laughably bad. And that got millions of views. Yeah, because people don't. This is the this is the this is why we have the epidemic of fake news, because nobody nobody applies even the slightest bit of critical thinking to this. Or 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 makes any effort to verify that, and I think well, it's just because if it if it fits into your prejudices and your worldview, and you want it to be true, then you're willing to overlook quite a bit, even if it's clearly staged, like the one you're talking about, or in this case with the airplane thing. I, I just people are willing to be lied to if it fits into their worldview. And now I want to talk, speaking of worldviews and people who are willing to be lied to, we've got a piece up on uh, theblaze.com right now. Hey, smug millennial liberals, here are some New Year's resolutions for you. Now, obviously, this is in, in uh, sort of a, not in response directly, but I'm sure this is somewhat uh, driven by the MTV, as you, as you point out here, the MTV video about white, uh, how white men need to do better or something. You have your own ideas for smug millennials you share in this piece. Uh, like, number one, stop being bigots. Do tell. Yeah, yeah. I just want to point out that I, I knew when this video came out that there was going to be approximately 6,000 uh, responses along the lines of what I wrote from conservative bloggers and, you know, and that kind of thing. I think I got mine up first anyway. Uh, so I just want to point that out, just, you know. But I... To, to me, the, the thing that struck me about the uh, about the video, and anytime you listen to a liberal, is the yeah, just the the naked bigotry that, of course, has been remarked upon many times. That comes out, and they seem to think that they've got some kind of bigotry hall pass, where as long as they're directing it at white males, uh, white, white straight males, by the way, it's, it's even more specific than that, that it's okay. But but obviously, you know, that's not the case. And, they 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 have to um, do a lot of kind of mental gymnastics to make to to make that work because what they'll claim is that well it's impossible to be racist against white males because white males are in power and uh, racism can never go in that direction racism is always down from the direction of power to the people who don't have power and that makes no sense on so many different levels considering that our our president happens to be black. But uh, that also has, of course, nothing to do with it. So it, it seems pretty obvious, but it, I think it's a point that needs to be made that um, if you are expressing hatred towards all white males, that you're a bigot. So at least, at least embrace that and accept it. And you know what? At the very one thing I'll say about white supremacists um, that there's not a lot I would say for them, but at least they they'll they won't pretend that they're not bigoted against non-whites. They they embrace it and they'll tell you that that's how they feel. So the the um, the supremacists on the left, all I want them to do is just be honest. Just say, yeah, we hate white males. We think we're better than them, and uh, we're bigots. And one more. You've got a, a, a few resolutions here, but I also wanted to get to this one. Uh, develop an iota of humility and gratitude. Yeah, that's one thing. It's specifically directed at um, younger, the college-age liberals that were in the video and those like them that it's just striking how little gratitude and humility they have. And that's the criticism that we can make. We, we could all do well to have more of that. But particularly with them, 
Uh, and when you, uh, that video was the, the very first, I think, person that pops on the video was a minority woman uh, who says that uh, America was never great for anyone who isn't a white male. And it's just have some your your family. You're a minority woman um, as, as a woman and, and as a minority on virtually anywhere else on the globe. You would be in so much worse shape than you are here. Your family came here because they recognize that America is obviously greater in many respects from the place they left. That's why they left. So I have a little bit of a, a little bit of gratitude. And I know it might be really triggering to say, but even even the, the dreaded evil white males, um, white males aren't the only ones who founded this country and built it and did all these great things, won, won world wars and innovated technologies and so forth. They're not the only ones, but um, they're largely responsible for a lot of that. So maybe even a little bit of, maybe even recognizing that, not only are all white males not bad, but many of them are responsible for a lot of the great things in your life right now. So a little bit of gratitude might, might come in handy. <laughs> I like it. A little bit of gratitude. A little bit of a high five for white males at Christmas Caesar. Wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a yeah, bad why thing. Why not? Every once in a while. Why not? I got I to throw in one more, and then I just want to ask you some Christmas questions, Matt. Stop worshiping Beyonce. Couldn't agree with you more. Don't understand this. I have no, I have no, I'm not a Beyonce hater. I just don't think she's that good. And why do we all have to pretend she's that good? She's just okay. Yeah, yeah, she's not. It, it's I find her music obnoxious. I think her voice is kind of bland and uninteresting. She's, but she's a good dancer, um, and her lyrics are vile and illiterate. But I, but she doesn't write them, so I don't even blame her for that. But yeah, I mean, fine. She's she's talented in some respects, not in others. And why can't we just think that about her? Why she's become this deity like figure on the left, and it's a little bit, it's uh, it's a lot absurd actually. So I, I don't get mm. it. I mean, the Beyonce police may wait until after Christmas to come and take you from your home, but you're on record now, oh, Madden. Trust me, the Bayhive, I have uh, provoked their wrath on many occasions. And, uh, yes, they, they take it very seriously. All right, a couple, a couple of questions for, for a segment we're going to start doing called On the Fly, where I just throw some random stuff out. Best Christmas movie, and Matt Walsh's opinion is? Well, you got to give it to It's a Wonderful Life. I, I, it's hard to beat them. Okay, fair enough. But is Die Hard a Christmas movie? No. Oh, he's hesitating. He's hesitating. No, it's not a Christmas. It's a, it's Christmas is just the, it's the... Look, any movie that happens to be set in December is not a Christmas movie. <laughs> Die Hard fans, you know, at Matt Walsh on Twitter, you can you can have this out with him as to whether Die Hard is a Christmas movie or not. Um, and any any fun uh, family traditions, anything specific or... Or is there is there a a whiskey of choice, a single malt of choice that you would recommend someone savor over the Christmas holiday if they were to ask you anything any of the above? Well, I mean, Christmas tree. Look, we've got a lot of kids in our family. Um, I grew up with a lot of kids. You know, I have five brothers and sisters. We have fifteen now nieces and nephews in the family. So the Christmas tradition is just to watch. You know, a Christmas morning, you just watch these children just devour presents, and it's just utter chaos. And um, and so, you know, I think I think that's that's what I'm used to. It's it's. Uh, I've been to some people's houses on Christmas where they've got a very orderly. There's just a few people, and they just open presents, and everything's nice. But every Christmas, most Christmases in my family is just utter complete chaos. And uh, I think that's the way Christmas should oh, go. Oh, nice. So, so it's so it's like correct, it's like presents Thunderdome. It's like it's like you know, everybody's every man and woman for himself or child yeah, for himself. Yeah, and I, and I, absolutely, and I and I do prefer. There's a good age. There's a good Christmas present opening age for kids, and it's like between the ages of two and about five or six, and because they're so grateful, it's cute to watch them. But then they get a little bit older, and you know nobody enjoys watching twelve-year-olds open gifts because they're ungrateful, and and it's just it's not there's no cuteness to it. So, 
I just I have a preference there. As far as alcoholic beverage, uh, I mean, you can't. I, I already I have the uh, Four Roses uh, small batch ready to go at my house, and I just. You know, it's not too fancy, but you can't beat that, in my opinion. All right. Matt Walsh, author of the Matt Walsh blog, also a writer for TheBlaze.com. Check out his latest pieces there and follow him on Twitter and join his Facebook army as well at uh, Facebook.com slash Matt Walsh blog. Is that right? Yep, you got it. Yep. All right. Uh, Matt, thank you very much for joining us, my friend. Merry Christmas to you and yours, and uh, we'll talk to you in the new year. Merry Christmas and happy Kwanzaa as well. Thank you. Team, we will be right back. Buck Sexton. The Blaze Radio Network. Sexton Show. Timmy got a couple calls. Let's take them. David in Missouri. Merry Christmas. Shields high. Hey, what's up? Um, what's up? I was calling up about uh, your Battle of the Bulge story. Indeed. And uh, this is kind of maybe this just kind of a curiosity for your sake. Um, my un- my name last name's Westfall, but my dad's oldest sister married a fellow by the name of Maynard Sexton, and he was in the 106th Infantry Division, and he was. He talked. He kept a diary as a POW in World War II, and uh, he was taken uh, as POW on December 19th. They had played cat and mouse with the Germans after going into the Battle of the Bulge, and he had some pretty hair-raising stories and some just some nightmarish stories. And I thought maybe you'd be just just kind of be curious to hear about that because uh, he would talk about it like Boy Scout troops and stuff like that. But he had some really interesting tales. Uh, to talk about uh, being captured by the Germans after playing, like I said, cat and mouse for three days with the Germans up in the Ardennes. Do you want to and, share one of his tales with us? Well, we, you know, we got about a minute or so. Well, sure. Like there, like after playing, you know, spending three days lost because they changed all the road signs around. Uh, their column was driving along. Uh, they came to a stop after three days. They, they wanted to, they're driving along. And they come to a stop. They all get out. Their POWs, his driver had been shot in the head, and uh, their POWs, they go off to camp, they take away all their shoes and their coats, and they give them just, uh, you know, thin boots and coats and stuff like that. He ended up with frostbite at the bottom of his feet and stuff like that. He had, the bottom of his feet ended up jelly-like later on in life. Um, He talked about being transferred from one camp to another. Uh, It took them, they packed them in so tight. they were. They had no. They had to stand. They were packed in those trains, cars for six days and five nights. Only one person was ever allowed to get out to get the food, and the whole train load was given eight ounce. Every person was allowed eight ounces of water, and the whole railroad car. Each railroad car was only given one loaf of bread. And that was like I said for six days and five nights. And then of course you have the matter of having to, you know, take a crap and go pee and stuff like that. Uh, he just had these amazing stories, and it never—it didn't break his, you know, it, it affected him, but it didn't—it didn't break him. Um, it was—he just had some amazing stories. I hear you, uh, David. Uh, thank you very much for calling in from Missouri. Merry Christmas, and thank you for sharing the stories. Appreciate it. Merry Christmas it. to you too. 
Uh, Lee in Texas. I'm assuming Dr. Lee. What's up, Dr. Lee? Merry Christmas. Hey, Buck. Merry the Christmas. doctor's in the house. Sorry, I just like saying that. Go yeah. ahead. Thanks. Uh, Merry Christmas to Team Buck as well. Indeed. Yeah, so I uh, have two movie quotes, and then I have a question for you. We only have um, 60 so, seconds, so we're going to have to roll through these pretty quick. Go ahead. Okay, so movie quote one. This is from my husband. Why is Private Pile eating a jelly donut? Oh, dude, of course. That's uh, that's full, uh, full Metal Jacket. I'm ready to go with that. Okay. Okay, so this one is mine. So did you just waltz in here and bark at your commanding officer? Because if you did, I would call that a bona fide brain fart, and I resent it when people fart inside my office. Oh, you got me. What is that? G.I. Jane. Oh, I've never seen that. The movie about Demi Moore and the oh come on action movie. Doctor Lee, you're killing me here. The hubs, the hubs nails it with Full Metal Jacket. But oh okay. And what's your Doctor Lee? We got thirty seconds. What's your question? So in the Marines uh, story yesterday, it was really awesome. But my husband and I are wondering why there was no guard tower and there were no barrels trying to stop the um, truck coming forward. It seems like a lot in response. Interesting question. I do not have an answer, but Dr. Lee, Merry Christmas to you and the hubs and to everybody. Shields high. Be right back. You're listening to Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. 